Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all the things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, your body, and your movement. Uh, we also get into all sorts of other ridiculous forms of conversation. Today is more about the mind-body movement stuff with Nobel Prize winning. I don't think I've had a Nobel Prize winner on the podcast before, uh, Dr. Luis Ignaro. Uh, Dr. Luis is an American pharmacologist, and he won the Nobel Prize for demonstrating the signaling properties of nitric oxide. Uh, That's something that we've spoken with before with lots of people, Brian McKenzie, Patrick McEwen. Um, I've gotten to do with Wim Hof a little bit and a whole plethora of other people in here. Uh, because nitric oxide is very important stuff. Uh, it's something that is supportive for your circulation, for vasodilation, for moving that blood through your body. Nitric oxide is a major component of many functions in your body. We get into why the heck that matters and also get into Luis's story as a 79-year-old man. Um, I'm always super enamored and excited to get to converse with people that are far, have been around on this planet far longer than I have. Who knows with past lives and such. Been in their present form for much longer than I've been in this present form. Uh, Past lives. You guys believe in past lives? Who knows? So many dang mysteries. Dr. Luis has been in this body for 79 years. I am reporting to you for this introduction from an Airbnb in Austin, Texas. Took an interesting turn of events. I decided to downsize my reality from Santa Monica. I'm running up my place there and my vehicle and uh, decided to make a pursuit of minimalism be a real thing. So most of my life has condensed it down into a backpack came out here with a bow like archery bow and came out with uh, one backpack my podcast recording equipment so if you guys have any thoughts on who you would like to hear on this program here in austin texas please let me know this conversation will go out tomorrow morning i'll be here until the 14th of uh, october so reach out on instagram at align podcast if there's any person that you're like, this person would be great. Hit me up. I'd love to know. Uh, and, uh, it'd be awesome. Please send me their contact information if you got it. Um, if you guys are interested in learning how you can get your dang low back out of pain, if you got back pain, 80% of Americans do, or will experience some form of chronic back pain in their lifetime. That is ridiculous. You do not need to be experiencing back pain. Um, we have created a whole variety of solutions on how to get yourself out of back pain. You can find that at alignpodcast.com. We have a six-week online program that breaks down everything that you need to know on how to navigate your body effectively. All the tools that you need to make your body feel flexible, feel strong, feel spacious, feel without pain. Pain is a big subject. Um, It can be a lot of, uh, it would be a lie if anybody told you that there's just going to be one exercise or self-care technique that's going to take your body out of pain. Uh, I think there can be many levels to it. Um, But one thing is for sure 
if the mechanics of your body are funky, then that will contribute to the production of pain in your body. And so we get into a lot of the mind portions of what pain can be, uh, but we really hone in on the physical components. So it's like a user's manual on how to drive your body effectively. And so that is the at alignpodcast.com. You can also find the link in the bio for a free masterclass to give you a little free introduction on some of these topics. And so if you're interested in learning how to make that body function your best, why the freak not? It's at alignpodcast.com. Six-week Align Method online program. It's a continuation of the Align Method book. I greatly appreciate you guys leaving reviews for the book, reviews on iTunes for this podcast, telling your friends, all the things. Thank you so much. Here we go. Back to the program with Dr. Luis Ignaro. In order to be able to understand all the damn electronics that goes through this stuff. Right. You know, chemistry and biology is very logical to me, but not electronics. Sorry. It's, it's very consistent. I feel the same way in relation to the conversation of nutrition and such, which kind of stems into chemistry, actually. But exactly. I feel like there's a there's a new fad of how how we're supposed to eat and what we're supposed to do each each like three to five years, it seems. Absolutely impossible to keep track. Yeah. What is your diet like? My diet, I've learned really about my diet, that is what kind of a diet to adapt, uh, mainly, believe it or not, because of the research that I've done in the field of nitric oxide and also uh, the contributions made by so many spectacular scientists working in the field of nitric oxide. And I can explain that later, but my, my diet is very simple, Aaron. I, I don't believe in, you know, high protein, high fat, keto, carbs. I believe in a well-balanced diet. In other words, roughly roughly 30% of your diet from fat, 30% from protein, you know, 40%, I guess, you know, from, from carbohydrate. But in every category, there's healthy and unhealthy, right? Healthy, unhealthy fat, healthy and unhealthy protein. Same thing goes with carbs. So I try to, to keep balanced nutrition, focusing on all of the major food groups. I don't think our mammalian bodies have been designed to focus more so with one kind of food group than another. And there have been many publications, hundreds, and people swear by their diets. And I'm not going to put them down. You know, they may work for them for some period of time. But I like a well-balanced diet, but fueled with as much physical activity as I can put into the system. And, of course, you understand that very well. Yeah. I wonder, how long have you been conducting science or is it, your your background is, is pharmacology can you get a little bit into your 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 background originally yeah, yeah. i uh, i i've always had even when i was in high school pre-high school i had uh, unlike my friends who were interested in girls and bicycles <laughs> i had an interest in chemistry and biology so you know i'm the guy who had a chemistry set and made firecrackers and rocket fuel i used microscopes to to examine uh, cells from plants and animals. I mean, I did this from early on. I had a passion for it. I stuck with it. My area of greatest interest was the cardiovascular system, the heart and the blood vessels. 
And so I just took the stepwise all the way through my undergraduate college education, which was a, I majored in chemistry. And then I went on to graduate school and medical school. And in my graduate school, I majored in pharmacology, which is the study of the actions of drugs on the body. So by definition, that demands an understanding of chemistry and biology. I was in medical school for about two years and doing very well. In fact, I got better grades in my medical school courses than graduate school. But then after two years, I decided to bow out of medical school not get my MD because I didn't want to practice medicine. And this happened because toward the end of my second year, I had to go to the uh, emergency wards. And uh, let me tell you, I couldn't handle patients coming in from automobile accidents, motorcycle accidents, bleeding with bones exposed. I said to myself, that's it, buddy. That's not for me. So I bowed out of that and, uh, and I continued in doing basic research. But I learned a lot from those medical school courses uh, because, because of that, I was always able to focus my work on research that's important, you know, for health and disease. Well, so I wanted to, I mean, I'd like to talk a lot about, about a lot of things. I'd like to just talk about you as a person, as a human yes. being. Um, and then I also would like to get into the research of uh, nitric oxide. Yeah. which is something that um, I've been kind of spouting out different details of, you know, the value of breathing in certain ways being of, of yes. value to, to be able to upregulate this and, you know, the help for your cardiovascular function and cognitive function and all these things. But I don't sure. really know what the hell I'm talking about. And so I'm very excited to get, I'm very excited to get to have you be like, is this like, what, what is NO2 and why does it matter in the first place? <laughs> you know, I've been accused also of not knowing what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but I get away with it because I have a Nobel Prize, Nobel and Prize. I remind right. people of that, and then yeah. they keep quiet. You yeah, know. exactly. But, um, well, <laughs> so uh, you want me to talk about nitric oxide? Is that yeah, please. Yeah, sure. I'm just for, for, for like layman folks, like who, yes. the hell, who the hell cares? What's the difference yeah, between that I know. and I, anything I, else? Why would we talk about it? It's so important, and you know, I'm not sure why uh, nitric oxide hasn't made it out in the world like uh, other, you know, other discoveries have. And it's difficult for a scientific discovery to make it out there uh, unless it pertains to everyday life, to human well-being. And also the news media has something to do with it. Nitric oxide started to become fairly well known to people when uh, Viagra was marketed. In other words, uh, the early work we did on nitric oxide was strictly cardiovascular function. So let me explain that first. Nitric oxide is actually a gas. It's a pollutant in the air, and it is formed when a bolt of lightning zaps through the air and causes a chemical reaction between nitrogen and oxygen. And that's N and O, and it forms NO, which is the chemical symbol for nitric oxide. So nobody thought that nitric oxide would be made by the body or important in the body until we discovered a number of years ago uh, that the body does produce nitric oxide. That was an original discovery, and that essentially is what landed me a nice trip to Stockholm, Sweden. And what we showed with nitric oxide is that nitric oxide is made by 
many cells in the bodies, but mainly by the arteries. And the function of nitric oxide made in the body by the arteries is to control the blood pressure, to lower the pressure. In other words, prevent hypertension. Another effect of NO is to prevent inflammation of the arteries. That means it's going to prevent coronary artery disease and heart attack. And finally, we showed that nitric oxide can prevent the unwanted clotting of blood. I mean, you want the blood to clot when you have an injury, right? So the blood can clot and you don't have a lot of blood loss through the cut or abrasion, but you don't want the blood to clot when it's circulating through the brain or circulating through the heart. If that happens, you have a stroke, right, in the brain and a heart attack if the blood clots in the heart. So we discovered that nitric oxide prevents blood clotting. And that led many, many other investigators to show that one of the major roles of our nitric oxide is to prevent stroke, prevent heart attack, and prevent high blood pressure. In other words, it's the most important molecule in the body to provide cardiovascular health. And so there's an attempt to develop many drugs to boost nitric oxide in order to prevent cardiovascular disease. Like and a statin, right? Yeah, well, statin, absolutely. A statin is one of them. And it's been very difficult in that field because of the chemistry of nitric oxide. It's very unstable. It's a gaseous substance, by the way. You can't put it in a pill or a capsule or a liquid. It's a gas, and it only lasts for a few seconds once your body makes it. And so investigators, including us, but mainly others, found that you can boost your nitric oxide by taking lots of antioxidants, foods, berries, any colorful fruits or vegetables that provide antioxidants have been shown categorically to boost your nitric oxide. That's one reason why it's very healthy to eat those kinds of fruits and vegetables because they are loaded with antioxidants. Naturally, plants make antioxidants to prevent the UV light from the sun from killing the plants. They make the antioxidants to protect themselves against the UV light. And we, all mammals, eat fruits and vegetables to bring in the uh, antioxidants to boost our nitric oxide to keep us healthy. And, you know, very few people know this. There's not been enough books written. So I decided, you know, I'm not doing any research anymore. So I'm actually working on three different books at the same time to try to make nitric oxide a household word. And, you know, Aaron, every eight-year-old knows what Viagra is. And very few adults know what nitric oxide is. That makes me upset. But the interesting thing is that Viagra works by boosting nitric oxide in the erectile tissue, in in the penis, in in the male, and in the clitoris, and in the female. They have erectile tissue as well. So that's how Viagra works, by by, uh, increasing nitric oxide, which increases blood flow, right? You get engorgement of the corpus cavernosum or erectile tissue with blood. And that's what erectile function is. 
Mm. And that's mediated by nitric oxide. Very few people know that. Yeah. And so are we in, endogenously or when we're making it within our own bodies, we are there's cells wrapping through the endothelial tissue and all of our yes, blood yes. vessels, arteries, all that, that, that are producing NO2 right. as we as we breathe, it's just blood's passing, or how, how does that work exactly? Yeah, it's the, the NO is made by the endothelial cells, yeah. which are a single layer of cells that line all the blood vessels in the body. We have roughly 100,000 miles of arteries, veins, and capillaries, and every one of those is lined on the inside. In other words, between the blood and the other part of the arteries or veins, that single lining is called the endothelium, and those cells make nitric oxide. We have about roughly a, a trillion endothelial cells, each one should be making nitric oxide all the time. And I just wanted to, you know, make one correction, Aaron. Yeah, please. When we talk about nitric oxide, it's one atom of nitrogen connected to one atom of oxygen. So it's NO. Oh, I'm saying NO2. No, NO2 is dangerous. That's different. Yeah, that's a nice. Did I say that? I I apologize. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. NO2 is nitrogen dioxide. Right. And that's the brown gas you see in the polluted air over LA, New York, Chicago, or whatever. The NO2 is extremely dangerous and extremely fatal, whereas NO has totally different properties, even though the chemistry looks to be similar. Yeah, I've been watching too many documentaries on regenerative farming and, <laughs> and carbon sequestration. So, yeah, right. um, so how does breathing impact the production of NO in our bodies? Is it something that's that we can augment just through the manner in which we live outside of actually food consumption? Yes, that, that's a very, very good point. And, you know, that's only a, re- a recent finding. Breathing let's say breathing through your nose, meaning inhaling, let's say, let's say inhaling through your nose. That's been thought of, I guess, for hundreds, maybe thousands of years uh, as being important, especially by yogis, you know, people who practice uh, yoga. And they have different ways of exhaling through the nose, through the mouth, slowly through the mouth. But it's only about 15 or 18 years ago that the physiological significance of that was discovered, not by me, but by others, some of my good friends in, in, uh, in Sweden. What they discovered is that the nasal cavities, the nasal sinusoids, make a very large amount of nitric oxide continuously, continuously. And that nitric oxide gas gets into the nasal area. And when you breathe in through your nose, you are going to deliver, you're going to carry that nitric oxide into your lungs. Remember, nitric oxide is a gas. And, uh, and there's lots of it that goes into your lungs. Your mouth does not produce nitric oxide. So if you breathe strictly through your mouth, you're not getting nitric oxide in the lungs. So one of the benefits of inhaling through the nose is to bring in that nitric oxide. There's lots of advantages of breathing in through the nose. You've pointed that out in in your books and talks and so on. I mean, we have filters and cilia. We have all kinds of things in the nose that actually clean the air a bit before it gets into the lungs. It also warms up the air, which makes it better for oxygen, oxygen exchange deep in the lungs. But 
the way I look at it, the most important attribute of breathing in through the nose is taking in that nitric oxide into the nose. And let me explain why. It's so simple. You know, you don't have to be a physiologist or a scientist to understand it. You just have to know what nitric oxide does. And I've already explained one of them to you. When nitric oxide goes in the lungs, it dilates or widens the pulmonary arteries. So more blood flows through. Why do you want blood to flow through your lungs? You want it to pick up oxygen. The oxygen is in the air. That has to get in the lungs. Nitric oxide also widens or relaxes your airways, like your trachea, and then the bronchioles inside the lungs. They get wider. More air comes in. makes it easier to take in air. Air has oxygen. So if you increase blood flow and you increase oxygen, you're greatly increasing the oxygenation of the blood so that when the oxygenated blood leaves the lungs, it goes to the rest of your body. And believe me, if you're an athlete like you are and you work out, and I'm a quasi-athlete, but I, I need more oxygen than you do, I think, you appreciate you know, breathing through the nose, getting that nitric oxide in. Yeah. And there's one more effect that nitric oxide has, which is so important to talk about nowadays during this coronavirus pandemic. Nitric oxide for many years has been known to be able to produce antimicrobial effects. In other words, nitric oxide can kill bacteria, parasites, and viruses. And there have been studies to show that nitric oxide especially kills the coronavirus. Mm. So, and in fact, as we speak, Aaron, as we speak, there are five large clinical trials in progress in which patients with severe COVID-19 are being given nitric oxide gas by inhalation through special masks. Mm. And the early data show that this is an incredibly effective treatment of COVID-19. The first study was completed, I think about two weeks ago, where a couple of dozen pregnant women with serious COVID-19 were admitted to the ICU, immediately put on nitric oxide gas by inhalation. They're all doing well. Half of them gave birth in the hospital to healthy babies. The other half and gave birth after they got home, all healthy. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's happy. So th that was because of the, the inhaled nitric oxide. So I'm hoping that the other clinical trials, which are ongoing with even more serious COVID-19 patients, proves to be correct. What kills these patients, Aaron, is that there's inflammation of those endothelial cells we talked about, tremendous inflammation. That means that the nitric oxide production in the lungs stops. Now, what happens if you don't make NO? You can't get vasodilation. You get vasoconstriction. You get no blood flow to the lungs. Airways constrict and you get little oxygen. And most importantly, if you don't have any NO in the lungs to kill the coronavirus, you die. And that's exactly what kills these patients. They die of a massive thrombosis or blood clotting 
in the lungs because there's no nitric oxide there to prevent the blood clotting. That's that's a, a, a really powerful message. I wonder within that, I want to go deeper into that. And then I also want to hone in a little bit within the, the, the breathing patterns, but I want to jump back to the, you know, the virology part of it, the impact on the immune system and such. Sure. Um, when you're breathing through the nose or say holding your breath, for example, um, or doing, you know, longer exhalations, longer inhalations, yeah. is it, is it about the terrain in which the air is passing through the nasal turbinates and such, or is it more of like the global impact of that respiratory pattern causing, you know, your nervous system to calm down and your diaphragmatic muscles to come online or, or is it a combination of that? Yeah, it's, Combination. I mean, everything you just said is true. And, and we know about that. And that's why, you know, breathing through the nose is, is important. But in addition to that, in addition to that, we have these hundreds of thousands of cells in the nasal mucosa that are continuously producing nitric oxide. They're just continuously producing it. I don't know of a way to increase or decrease it. They just continually make it. And so why not take advantage of that, especially now during this pandemic, yeah. that whenever you inhale, inhale through your nose. I mean, maybe by bringing in nitric oxide all the time through the nose, who knows, you may actually prevent your lungs you know, from getting an infection. I don't know. That's not been tested it's very hard to test, but you know, science is a bunch of proven facts. So we know the facts and then we act on the facts. You don't need to have a clinical trial uh, to make all this make sense. Yeah. And so it, it will be a good practice to breathe in through the nose for nitric oxide as it is for all the other benefits that, you've, uh, that you're an expert in. I mean, it all, it all helps and works together. Yeah. What would the impact, not to get excessively contentious, but just what would the impact of, say, a person that was wearing a, a like an N95 mask for like a lot, a, good, a high percentage of the day? Okay. Um, how uh, would that impact? Yes. Let, let me explain. All the things, yeah. I've talked to several anesthesiologists and a couple of surgeons, but more importantly, internal medicine experts who have been doing some tests recently recently, uh, but they always remind me. They say, Lou, I'm a surgeon. I'm an anesthesiologist. I wear an N95 mask or better 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week, and I've been doing it for 30 years, and I'm very healthy. So, I mean, they wear masks all the time. So a mask will, will protect you absolutely against this damn virus because the virus sits on water droplets. You know, it doesn't just fly in the air. I mean, it's on, it sits on residues on water and that's all trapped by the mask. The mask, the pores of the mask are huge in comparison to the size of the molecules of oxygen or CO2. So when you breathe in, the oxygen comes right through the mask. There's no filter that can be made in this current state of knowledge to block out molecules of oxygen or CO2 or nitric oxide. Uh, I mean, the filters 
just block out much larger particles, if you know what I mean. They, yep. they can't, can't block out the small particles. Now, sometimes if you're exercising or whatever you might be doing and you breathe heavily in and out, with a mask, you notice that the uh, the mask sometimes collapses onto your nose, but it's not it's not going to decrease the overall delivery or overall volume of air that's going into your nose. It's just that you're doing it so quickly, you're drawing the air more quickly and forcefully through the pores of the mask, and that tends to uh, collapse the mask a little bit. And you know, I've been asked to talk about this many times, Aaron, and all I can tell you is this. You know, we need to listen to science. You know, science, scientific fact, you know, speak the truth. I mean, if, if the science is factual, you know, it's really hard to have an opinion on that because by definition, you know, a fact is not amenable or subject to a matter of opinion, right? A theory might be, but a scientific fact is, is, is you can't draw an opinion on that. So I try to tell people, no matter what you believe, it doesn't hurt. You have nothing to lose by wearing a mask during these pandemic days. You know, wearing a mask and staying a number of feet apart will help tremendously in you know stopping the spread of the virus there's, there's no no question about that and it's not going to hurt you ask any nurse ask any anesthesiologist or surgeon who spends literally 80% of their living days with a mask on you know working yeah so the adding the no um, intranasally breathing in, like getting, you know, getting a mask and breathing that in. Is that just, would that just be kind of bringing a body back up to a baseline had they been following all the basic guidelines of living a healthy lifestyle? Or is there kind of like some super saturation of NO that's, that's of benefit going beyond what you would if you were just breathing well, eating well, being outside, you know, doing all the things? Well, it's the experiments, you know, this is relatively new and, and trials, studies have not been done in that detail, but measurements have been made as to what the concentration or level is of the nitric oxide that is produced by the nasal cavities. In other words, what level of nitric oxide, how many molecules of nitric oxide are made per minute in the nasal cavities. And that's how many will get into your lungs. And we know from various kinds of experiments in animals, in vitro, we know the concentrations of nitric oxide required to produce these beneficial effects. And so on average, just by normal breathing, normal inhaling through the nose, every time you inhale, you know, just keep your mouth closed if if you have to. Just breathe in through your nose. You can breathe out through your nose too. No big deal. Just But breathe in through the nose. You will be taking in, at the end of the day, more nitric oxide than you would need to, to fight off a coronavirus infection. Mm. And, but, but you, know, you got to do it constantly. Believe it or not, the, the, now it's hard to control the concentration of NO in your nose. If you have a nasal cold, if you have inflammation of these sinuses in, in the nose, they, 
they will produce less NO. That's true. But also, when these special devices are used to give nitric oxide to these sick patients, the nitric oxide is a gas, comes in a tank next to a tank with oxygen. The oxygen and the nitric oxide are delivered to this special contraption, you know, this device that is, is by your nose. It's mixed rapidly, and then it goes into your lungs. And if you're unconscious, of course, they put tubes into your nose oh. to go into your, into your lungs. The concentration of the nitric oxide that is given to patients with COVID-19, it's the same concentration, Aaron, as the nitric oxide your nose makes. That is the critically important thing when I'm urging my scientific friends to get that published and put that in the damn newspapers. Yeah. And the first thing they should do is send it to uh, President Trump. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to get into all of this stuff? I think you're the first person that I've talked to on here that won a, a Nobel Prize. And what a great thing to hang your hat on. Well, yes. How, yes. <laughs> was well, that some, was I, that a moment where you're like, oh, I look out like a mafioso, like I'm a made man, or what was that, well, that experience it, like? I, I often do hang my hat on the Nobel Prize because <laughs> you see, I don't have enough hair to hang my hat on my head, so so the Nobel Prize comes in handy. Uh, I, I couldn't begin to tell you how I felt after that announcement was made. You know, I, I've been doing a good job all my career. And maybe for about 10 or 15 years prior to that date, I had many of my colleagues coming up to me and saying, you know, Lou, one of these days you're going to get the Nobel Prize. And I would, I would always tell them to please shut up. I don't need that kind of pressure. Don't yeah. tell me about any Nobel Prize. I'm not working to get a Nobel Prize. I'm working for the benefit of humankind. If things work out and they want to give me a prize, don't worry. I'll make a plane reservation and go to Stockholm and get it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's my attitude. But when, although I had some idea I would get it, I have to tell you that when the announcement was made, I mean, I lost it. Okay. I, I, I've still lost it. It's been 22 years and, you know, I'm flying like a kite. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of it, to be honest with you, because I worked my tail off, you know, doing my work. And, you know, and, and I think that in addition to Viagra, I've made some important contributions uh, to medicine, and uh, I do feel good about it. And so I have to say that every few days I walk into my living room. We call, my wife and I call it the Nobel Room. And, uh, you know, I kind of pick up the Nobel Prize and, and handle it for a while. And then what I is it? Down. What is it about that 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 feels so so good to you? I remember. I think I think of Richard Feynman. I think he was like resistant towards receiving. Maybe I don't know. If, did, did he get a Nobel Prize? I, I think he was kind of like poo pooing on it. Like ah, oh, I don't need any kind of trophies. Yeah, well, or whatever. many people, you know, have said that it is. It's not the fact that it's a trinket or whatever. Yeah. What it is is that it's world global uh, peer recognition of your contributions to science and humankind. Yeah. You know, I mean, arguably, I, I think that's the top prize a, a scientist can get. You know, the first one was awarded in 1901. So what does that make it? Uh, almost 120 years, years ago. Yeah. And since then, and, and we have, 
we have six categories, right? We've got chemistry, physics, medicine, but then we have literature, economics, and peace. When you add up all the Nobel Prizes, there's only been about 950 since 1901. And in medicine, medicine, there's only been 220 since 1901. And I'm one of them. And, you know, I mean, that, that feels good. <laughs> Did you, before that, was there any sensation of feeling like unheard or feeling uh, like unappreciated or anything like that? Or was it, was it? Yes. That does happen. I have to tell you that uh, after making all of these important um, discoveries, yeah. Uh, I figured in my mind, you know, I wouldn't discuss it with anybody. I figured in my mind, you know, look what I did. I discovered nitric oxide. I discovered it does this, it does that. I discovered that it's the, the main neurotransmitter in the nerves that go to the erectile tissue. I discovered nitric oxide was that neurotransmitter. That's what allowed big pharma like Pfizer yeah. to capitalize on that and develop Viagra. So when that was all done... You know, I figured, fantastic. You know, what, what more is there? What more can I do? And finally, Viagra came along in 1998. Okay, so before that, there was word that this drug was going to come out. Plus, all the other contributions I made were well before that. And so I was kind of wondering, you know, I thought, maybe I won't get the Nobel Prize. And it, that did start to bother me a little bit, although I wouldn't share that with my friends. But then I have, to, I have to tell you this, though. This is hilarious. And you can look all this up if you don't believe me. But in March of 98, March of 98, there was this big news announcement. And all the news stations, you know, sudden news, uh, news alert that Viagra, which was a new term, nobody knew what it was, you know, Viagra was marketed to treat erectile dysfunction. And so I looked at it, I immediately, you know, looked it up and saw that it worked by increasing nitric oxide. And I went crazy. And I said, you know, if that doesn't land me the prize, then I'm not going to get it. And interestingly, Six months later, in, in October of 98, the Nobel Prize for nitric oxide was announced. And I got it six months later. So I thought, you know, is this a coincidence or what? So I decided to look up the committee members, the Nobel Committee members for medicine. And I found that the majority of them were men over the age of 60. How was that? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so is that something, again, that it's like we're remedying, remedying a, a, an issue that was perhaps created from a seemingly like dysfunctional, westernized, modernized culture um, that any, would any ancestral person or someone living a more ancestral life, would their levels of, of NO just be just be good. There'd be nothing to talk about with that. And I imagine that's also associated to like levels of everything else in the body. You can't isolate any one specific molecule or anything. But Yes. It's, it's difficult to go back in time, but you know, there are scientists who are really good at this. And we, we see that now that the most primitive forms of life, even unicellular animals, uh, tiny animals in the sea, every single animal that has ever been looked at, whether it's a mammal, 
a bird, an insect, whatever it is. Everyone, every animal makes nitric oxide. That's what's incredible. So it, it's, it's, I mean, how can you conclude anything else but nitric oxide is required for life? Yeah. Every single organism makes nitric oxide. Bacteria make nitric oxide. They all make nitric oxide. And, you know, if I was younger and still had a functional lab, I would go after that a bit more and study that a bit more because we might be able to understand how certain diseases develop or genetically develop uh, because there might have been decreases in nitric oxide as that species was evolving. There's so many unanswered questions. Yeah. What's inspiring for you now then? If you're not younger and don't have a lab and you've got your Nobel Prize, you got the notoriety, what's, what's, what keeps you what, excited? What, what I'm doing is I'm trying to make nitric oxide a household word oh. because it is so important for one's health, well-being, and lifestyle. And I can really summarize this very succinctly and then you can ask me questions if you want. As I mentioned before, and there are books on this, and I, I'm going to be writing more, eating a healthy diet, in other words, healthy protein, low in saturated fat, low in salt, okay? Eating a, a healthy diet will boost nitric oxide production. Eating lots of fruits and vegetables with the richest sources of antioxidants. I always tell people, the fruits and vegetables with the most intense color are the healthiest for you, and they are the biggest boosters of nitric oxide that's been done in the lab. For example, you know, pomegranate, pomegranate juice, that's a pretty intense red color. Did you ever yeah. stain your white undershirt with pomegranate? Beet you have juice. to throw it Beet, out. Beet that's, juice as well, right? I was getting to that. That's exactly yeah. right. Beet juice as well. Popeye didn't know about nitric oxide 150 years ago. He ate lots of spinach. And of course, in those days, the commercialization of spinach was based on the fact that it was rich in iron. But now we know that spinach is rich in ingredients that boost nitric oxide production. So we've kind of rediscovered Popeye. So eating all the healthy foods and staying away from the bad foods. That's what I try to advocate. There's no book just about that. And I'm working on that. In fact, it's called The, uh, the Miracle Molecule of Life. I'm about halfway through with it. Because I look at it as a miracle molecule. Prevents yeah. stroke, prevents heart attack, allows you to have an erection. What the hell is more miraculous than that, for God's sakes? When you say salt, do you mean like all forms of table salt or is there such a difference as like say pink Himalayan salt or you know, there, is it or is yeah. it's, all it's salt all, created equal or what? Same. It's all the same, but I want to clarify what I said. Of course you should eat salt. I mean, I, I eat salt and you know, I like kosher salt. Uh, pink Himalayan salt is great. Uh, I, there's a product with uh, herbs and, and salt and sea salt. Sea salt, I like that. What I meant to say is that you don't want to eat excess salt. So yep. yes, it's okay to eat salt, but there are a lot of books written. You can Google all these things. What is the greatest amount of salt I should really eat every day? And, and here by that, you know, I see people when I go to a restaurant, 
when I used to go to a restaurant before the pandemic, I mean, you know, nothing would turn me off more than I go in to have my breakfast, you know, bacon and eggs. And then, and then, you know, bacon has lots of salt. I mean, it's loaded with salt. And I see these people just emptying all the salt, you know, without even tasting it first and eating it. And I start to sweat. Because I know how unhealthy that is. So, yeah. so you want to stay away from excess salt. Sugar yeah. is good, but please stay away from excess sugar. Drinking a bottle or two of Coca-Cola every day or any other drink with salt, that's the worst thing you can do. There are other sugars that you can eat that are not sucrose, right? And that would not be dangerous to your health. So yeah. you have to do things in moderation. Then I hear people say, well, you shouldn't drink alcohol. That's not true. You know, alcohol is very helpful. Alcohol, as long as you're not an alcoholic, please. Alcohol can be very helpful. It can relax you. It can absolutely relax you and just settle your nerves. That can go a long, a long way toward longevity. But most importantly, and I have to advocate, I mean, I don't have a vineyard and I don't make wine, but the alcohol I drink is wine. I like red wine. I like Italian red wine. Every night for dinner, I have two glasses. That's a half a bottle of red wine. And I'm doing fine. I've been doing that for years. Red wine is rich, very rich in antioxidants and is one of several reasons why the Mediterranean diet has been so healthy. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with this, this, this is the reason why I typically veer away from like nutritional conversations because it's so slippery. When you say sugar, there's so many different varieties of sugar that one could consume. It could be processed yeah. table sugar. It could be you're eating you know, right. sugar from like an apple where you have all the fiber and you're chewing and it's like this whole process. And it's yes. like the crack form of sugar that most of us are, are referring to when we say sugar. And then salt's right. the same right. conversation. It's not just you know the table salt that you might get in some shitty diner someplace yes. is probably going to be yes. different than like Redmond sea salt or Redmond, sorry, Redmond's, uh, what is it called? Mine salt. It like comes from a mine. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and then within the salt conversation and the sugar and all that, it's like, what's your activity level? It's, you know, are you sweat? Did you sweat a gallon of sweat that day? Are you out right, in the middle right. of the desert? Then it's like, that's going to be vastly different. So for people listening, it's like, from my perception of things, there's no one set recipe of this is what you do. It really depends on who you are, where you're at and what you're doing. I think you're right. I think everybody with salt should recognize salt is no matter what kind of salt it is, it's the same thing. It's sodium chloride. I think everybody knows that. It's sodium chloride. It could be pink. It could be red. It could be from a mine. It could be this or that. But your body doesn't care where it's from, Aaron. Your body only cares if it's got a sodium ion and a chloride ion. You know, it's sodium chloride. And, you know, if you're not sure, still, the best thing to do is eat your favorite salt, but but minimize it. You know, you don't have to eat it to excess. That's the only thing I'm saying. I'm yeah. not saying you should make a choice as to what kind of salt you have. I make choices, yes, but I just keep it down so yeah. that I'm not taking it in excess because in America, and it's still, it's still true, Aaron, in America, the number one cause of hypertension is salt. And the number one cause of heart attack is hypertension. Yeah. Okay. So what about the person that gets, and we're like going to go into the weeds, but, but I want to talk about another thing in relation to like 
the, is there any psychosomatic relationships to the production of gases such as NO in the body? And like you already alluded to, to one being like wine, it relaxes the body. I think a big yeah, part of like right, the relaxation right. is like you're going through the ceremony. It's the end of the day. You've anchored that that cup of wine to be this. For some other people, might be smoking some pot. For some other people, might be getting a massage. Sure, some people might sure. be meditation or breath work or just taking a walk. No, so exactly. I, I, I wonder. I wonder if there has been any research around the, the the psychosomatic relationship to gaseous production in the body. Yes. So maybe we'll just do that. We'll stop talking about salt and sugar and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. No. Maybe I think I think you're right. There's been research, but sometimes it's difficult to evaluate. For example, yeah. if you go for a walk and you're relaxing, and it's making you think more clearly. You've got this fresh air, the birds singing, you feel great. And yes, you'll be making more nitric oxide. But what's causing the increase in nitric oxide? The only thing we know, and that's because we don't know that much, would yeah. be the walking. The walking is the exercise. So you're moving your, you know, your legs, you're moving, you're pumping your arteries and veins. And whenever you do that, you make lots of nitric oxide. I didn't explain that earlier, which I should just touch on now because it's Please. directly related. And that is that it's been shown about 20 years ago that the more you exercise, the more nitric oxide you make. This is so important to both people who work out and to people who lead a sedentary lifestyle. The most important stimulus in your body to make nitric oxide is exercise. Very simply explained, when you exercise, your heart beats faster and stronger. In other words, your cardiac output goes up, right? right. When you pump the blood into your arteries, that force of the blood flowing through the arteries stimulates the endothelial cells to make huge amounts of nitric oxide. Well-known fact. Okay, why do our bodies make all this nitric oxide when we're exercising? You don't have to be a scientist to figure that out. I mean, you want vasodilation and increased blood flow to your working skeletal muscles. So by making more NO, you dilate the arteries, you deliver more blood, therefore more oxygen and more nutrients to your working muscles. And by the same token, you're going to wash out more blood too. What goes in comes out. And the blood that comes out is going to remove lactic acid and other metabolites that give you and I pains in our muscles, uh, me especially, because I'm older, uh, whenever I work out. And yeah. so, so it, it's just fabulous how exercise stimulates nitric oxide. And it's been known, you can look it up, it's been known for over 5,000 years that exercise is good for your health and increases longevity. But would you believe that we didn't know why till about 20 years ago? And now one of the answers, there's probably more, one of the answers is nitric oxide. The more you exercise, the more nitric oxide you make. That nitric oxide doesn't just go to the skeletal muscle. The nitric oxide is made in your entire body. It goes to your heart. It goes to your brain. And so by constantly making NO and getting it to your heart, you can prevent cardiovascular disease, prevent stroke and heart attack. Your brain makes more nitric oxide than does any other organ in the body. 
we still don't know why, but your brain needs lots of oxygen. It needs to get rid of the CO2 and the nitric oxide does other effects in the brain. It improves memory, learning, and information recall. So brain health is highly dependent upon nitric oxide. So those are all the details. And what it boils down to is exercise. Exercise is one of your favorite things. And believe it or not, it's one of my favorite things. The more we exercise, the more intense we exercise, the more nitric oxide you make throughout your body, the healthier this is for you. And I, it will increase longevity. Absolutely. Well, I would redefine my kind of enamorment with exercise. I'm more just interested in general movement of the body. And that includes movement of the senses. That includes like, like the eyes, for example, when you are really focused in on a cell phone or a computer screen, or you're more in that like myopic focus, there's a, there's a vasoconstriction from my understanding around the blood vessels and around the eye. Um, In the eye, yes. Yeah. 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 And so I I think it's an interesting thing of how I'm kind of talking out my ass here right now. I'm kind of just like some of this is no. a little bit of science, a little bit of intuition, a little bit of talking to other people. But when a, a relaxed, calm body that perhaps feels safe in the world, safe in their community, they feel like yes. at home. They've won their own metaphoric Nobel Prize. They're yes, finally like, ah, yes, oh, yes. they have that exhalation. That <laughs> creates that spaciousness and that vasodilation in order for those endothelial cells to be able to produce yeah. more NO. That's and then, true. but it, there's like an interesting, like chicken of the egg feedback thing. It's like, okay, so <laughs> the NO creates a vasodilation and thins the blood and gets all the blood circulating so it can create more of itself and open the spaces. But then yeah. the opening of those spaces creates more NO. It's like, right. which came first? <laughs> no, but you know, we don't have to know what came first. All right. we know is that it, it's a positive feedback <laughs> phenomenon. You know, it just keeps going like that. And then, as you talked about tensions, we don't understand too much about you know, tensions and how being very nervous can cause a heart attack. You know, physicians used to say, if you get nervous, you'll get a heart attack. And then for some reason, they all said, nah, that's not true. Well, that shows you they don't know what they're talking about. And they means me too. I'm not just making fun of doctors. I am one, you know. But tension has been shown in humans and in various ways in laboratory animals to decrease nitric oxide production. Tension will do that. So if you're under tension for long periods of time every day, you're going to have a lower level of nitric oxide going forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, psychiatrists are saying that, well, that's why it's a good idea to take antidepressants because that removes the anxiety and it'll enable you to make more nitric oxide. Maybe. I, I don't know. It's not been proven, but all we know is that it's best to avoid tension by whatever the mechanism, whatever the mechanism, forget about nitric oxide, it's good to avoid tension. And by doing that, that nitric oxide level will gradually restore itself. Well, I think it's it's like somebody else had some paraphrasing some quote uh, that I heard recently on the podcast, an organism won't get well in the same environment that it got sick in that's not exactly but that's an interesting idea of like yeah. when you you know if you got sick in a certain way in a certain place you know there's something about probably your relationship or your perception of the relationship maybe the air that you're breathing maybe the the their home maybe there's mold in your house maybe the, the food that's in your fridge maybe you know environmental conditions like all these different different variables that would 
transform your organism into that expression of whatever symptom that that comes out. Huh. You know, so if if we have that temporary moment of cool, I'm taking the NO, it's going in. Hopefully, that could create enough momentum to be able to get the person moving to reorient yes. their environment, or perhaps maybe change environments entirely. Um, yes. What do yes. you think about that? I I, th- I think you're right. You know, it's really funny. Ever since I got into this thing a few years ago with the nasal breathing, yeah. when I get up in the morning, some people, when they get up in the morning, the first thing they do is light up a cigarette. Not a good idea. I, I don't smoke. But what I do is I, I sit on the edge of the bed. I close my mouth and I, I take about 20 deep breaths mm. through my nose and right. exhale slowly through my mouth. I just do that 20 times. And then I get up you know, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, and then hit the coffee, which I, I'm sorry, I'm a caffeine. Uh, I'm addict. drinking a cup right now. I'm with hey, you, man. Let's go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I do with the breathing. And once in a while, I catch myself. I'm writing books. I, I evaluate papers for publication. You know, I'm, I do a lot of, you know, my, my professional work. And often I notice that I take shallow breaths yeah. sometimes through my mouth, or maybe I'm not taking deep breaths through my nose. I catch myself. And when I catch myself, I just stop, I lean back and I take another 20 deep breaths through my nose. I mean, I mean, deep breaths. And every time I do that, I feel great, you yeah. know, for the next 15, 20 minutes, half hour. So you really have to think about your breathing. You really have to take a time out, maybe every half hour, and think about your breathing. Yeah. I wonder your thoughts in relation to nitric oxide and uh, cholesterol levels and uh, even like, like plaquey buildups in arteries and such. Because I, sure. I think there's an interesting movement-related conversation there that exists as well. It, perhaps the plaque is almost like a, like a callus developing up, developing yeah, yeah. in certain, certain sure. places. Sure. And maybe there is some type of mechanical conversation there that's not just you're eating too much you know, bacon. And, you know, right. so I wonder if there is like a, a gas conversation and a movement conversation yeah. and, and <laughs> you know, if there's other realms to it than just what goes, goes into our, our face. Correct. Let me try to explain. Uh, it was once thought, I think you'll remember this, it was once thought that if you ate too many eggs, especially egg yolk, which contains cholesterol, you would deposit cholesterol in your coronary arteries. Yeah. That's not true. You know, there are people who are not prone to getting plaques in the arteries because they keep themselves healthy in a number of different ways. Those people can eat a dozen eggs a day for the rest of their lives and they'll live to 100. So it's not the cholesterol you eat. It's all the other things. You know, I mean, you're going to accuse me of sticking with nitric oxide just because I invented it or discovered it. But remember, I got the Nobel Prize for it, so I can say what I want. Hang your hat. (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the nitric oxide is what prevents the plaque from developing. When your endothelial cells are not making enough nitric oxide, the vessel wall becomes much more susceptible to attack by white blood cells, fat cells, and other cells. And they begin to deposit on the inner lining of the arteries, making plaques which contain cholesterol. The more nitric oxide you're making, the less likely it is to develop 
those uh, plaques. Statin drugs work by interfering with cholesterol metabolism. I think we all know that. But what most people don't know is that statin drugs stimulate the endothelial cells to make nitric oxide. And there's a group of of, uh, cardiologists who feel that the most important effect of the statins is by increasing the nitric oxide. So we don't have drugs yet that deliver nitric oxide to treat coronary artery disease. They're in the pipeline, I promise you, but they're not available yet. It's a very difficult chemistry to work with a gas like this. But if you eat healthy, if you eat as many antioxidants as you can, if you eat pomegranate, if you eat blueberries, beets, you know, if you do all that, if you exercise, you know, at least five days a week, 40 minutes a day, any kind, the kind of exercise that you do is fine. You don't have to run a marathon for God's sakes, you know, or, or climb a bike up hills. It's just, it's just movement and concentration. And lifestyle. And you know, lifestyle. Exercise, exercise and like, lifestyle. like the research that, that from, from NASA and all over the place. There's a woman called Joan Vernicos who'd probably really appreciate. Yeah, she yeah, studied, she yeah, studied yeah. astronauts. And I, I referenced this in the, the Align Method book. Um, and she, she found that uh, astronauts that would do small bouts of, of, you know, kind of like a CrossFit style, like high intensity workout once a day, five days a week, whatever it may be. um, They would end up going through this essentially like this rapid aging process because the body is not built to do one big blowout with a whole rest of the day of just collapse and staring Uh, into uh, uh, my notebook or my phone or my, my work or whatever it may be. So if a person can start to, from, you know, my lens can start to integrate some of those basic principles that you get from, you know, movement or fitness or, or just lifestyle, look at any hunter gatherer tribe, look at any people in India or people in, you know, any place that people live in like somewhat more natural lifestyle when they're waiting for a bus, they'll go into a squat. You know, when they go back to their house, maybe they have like a low table and they'll eat food from the ground. You know, right, and so it's right, like this, right. that whole time that they're eating, hanging out, staring at their phone, they have this healthy buffer of they happen to be changing their leg positions. Now they're twisted. Now maybe I'm laying on my side. They may have to sure. walk more. Anyway, sorry, I'll shut up. But no, it's no, like, no, I just want to, no, like, true. the idea no, of exercise, I want to make sure the exercise is like, exercise is like, can be who you are as opposed yes. to like this thing that you put into a bucket five days a week. Right, right. Uh, I agree. No, I think that's well said. Sorry, sorry for yelling at you. I got. I got. Oh, yeah. I got I went on a rant. We'll do it again. But so, so, so that's that. Sorry, I completely interrupted you because I just I was like, no, no, no. To, no to I think clear. I think that you know, I, I, you hear me always say that it boils down to nitric oxide, and but you know, until we have a better thing to hang our hat on, uh, I think that uh, thinking about nitric oxide is the way to go. And I always urge everyone, everyone knows how to use the Google search tool in a computer. It is so powerful. I use Google more than I use PubMed to look up uh, uh, medical literature. I mean, Google is very, very powerful. And start Googling nitric oxide, nitric oxide in exercise, nitric oxide in food, nitric oxide in longevity. And you know, and then you make up your own mind. I mean, it's a voluminous amount of literature out there. Yeah. So, so finishing up for folks of bullet points, I guess. So getting nitric oxide, there's the nutritional approaches, but it sounds to me, and I think that I might be like overlaying more than, again, I'm, I'm talking out my ass. This is like a lot of, this is like 
intuition, but it seems like if the body can relax, if you feel like you're in a place where you can get a good breath and you can breathe all the way out and you can relax your eyes and you feel, you know, like you can take a while, do all those really simple things. It seems like that sets the stage for your blood vessels and you're not chronically held in tension because mental tension equals physical tension. Exactly. Of course. Then all of a sudden, you those endothelial cells and your arteries and blood vessels they can start to also relax and then all of a sudden you start to your body comes in line and it starts to release all the gases including I mean, nitric oxide that's exactly what you're saying is exactly true and just imagine if you adapted that kind of lifestyle and also did some uh, several days a week a more vigorous exercise in addition to what yeah. you're saying yeah, yeah. And, and at all times uh, try to eat a healthy balanced diet together with all of that and breathe properly all day long. Just think of how healthy everyone would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's food stuff, breathing stuff. Um, what are, are there any other things stand out uh, and, of like exercise, levers to pull exercise stuff, movement stuff, exercise. I think, um, well, you know, we didn't talk about, and I usually don't talk about, you know, are there any nutritional supplements sure. on the market that, um, would be helpful. And, you know, people ask me, you know, they say, oh, professor, uh, did you take all these different supplements? And, and I don't, you know, there's so many out there. Many of them are great. You know, 20 years ago, they were all terrible, but now many of them are great. Um, you know, I don't believe in a multivitamin. I eat enough good food. I have all my vitamins. I take supplements when I know as a scientist that they boost the production of nitric oxide. So sorry, there I go again. No, that's I take, right. I take amino acids like you can buy arginine and citrulline. Those two are what your endothelial cells use to make nitric oxide. So I take 5,000 milligrams of arginine every day, 1,000 milligrams of citrulline every day. I take vitamin C because vitamin C is the cheapest antioxidant you could buy. I also buy pomegranate extract. You can buy pomegranate extract in capsules. So I'd rather take a capsule than eat five pomegranates, which has 2000 calories, you know, so I'll take, I'll take the extract. And uh, so though, and fish oil, omega threes, fish oil, so important for all your cells making nitric oxide. And that's basically it. And then there's also, I would imagine, the there's probably preventative, some prevention of of cognitive decline and dementia and things of the sort. And like the, you know, there's like the the lymphatic system. You know, your your brain's able to, like, you have the lymphatic system. You also have this yes. lymphatic system that's able to circulate all that that yes. that waste from the brain. So that's exactly. the buildup of yes. amyloid yes. beta plaque and all the things. Right. Very helpful yes. to to be able to circulate that, especially when you're sleeping. Um, right. I I wonder. I would imagine there has to be a pretty strong NO conversation in, in that as well. Would be my my guess. Do you know anything yes. about that yeah. relationship? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I have some friends who are doing research in that area. In fact, there are two pharmaceutical companies trying desperately to develop drugs that actually have nitric oxide built into the drug molecule, mm-hmm. and then when the, the molecules get into the brain. It releases the nitric oxide where the amyloid, beta amyloid, builds up mm. for treating dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Wow. They're working on that. No results yet. But the key I want everyone to remember 
and I, I speak as a scientist here, your body makes nitric oxide, okay? Your brain makes a hundredfold more nitric oxide than the rest of your body. Let me say that again. The brain makes a hundred more nitric oxide, hundredfold more than the rest of your body. And we do not know why. We don't know why. Well, there's got to be a damn good reason why, <laughs> even though we don't know it. Probably to protect the brain against blood clotting and stroke, probably to protect against these amyloid cells making all kinds of plaques, and also to improve memory and learning. When a child is born, the newborn, the newborn has more nitric oxide in the brain at that stage of life than any other time in life. As soon as the child reaches five or six years old, the nitric oxide levels in the brain begin to decline. That probably has something to do with memory, learning, and information recall when you're that young. And that's also why I can't learn any new language. I probably have very little nitric oxide in my brain. Need more citrulline and arginine. That's it. That's it. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for making time to do this, man. I really enjoyed getting to talk to you. I I so greatly appreciate your your personality, how you, you have like a really beautiful youth to you, which is well, I, I try, I'm, I'm seven. I'm 79 years old. I'll be 80 uh, next May. That's but, great. You know, I, I try to stay young. I eat well. We do a lot of bicycling. I mean, very serious road biking, uh, and uh, you know, I just try to stay healthy. And like I said, you know, every few days I go and put the, my Nobel Prize in my hand, and I relax and I feel good. <laughs> what do you what do you attribute I think your your mindset is probably going to be one of the, the the longest levers to your health and longevity do you attribute anything particular to your uh, the fact that you have such a mindset at almost 80 years old well um I've always been like this I've always been very inquisitive I've always been highly motivated and I, I've always had passion for anything I wanted to do, whether it's science or anything else. And like I said before, I have Italian genes. My parents were born in Italy, and I was born in the Italian neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. So I'm very Italian. I just can't keep still. You know, right. what can I tell you? But it's a happy, it's a happy movement. You know, I don't move around because I'm nervous or I have any tension. I feel great. And I, yeah. you know, and, and I move around. So I attribute it to that. Do you have to leave right now? I'd be so curious to ask you a couple more questions if you're, no, if it's okay. Is that okay. Oh, good. Yeah. I don't have to leave. How the hell has the world changed since 80 years ago compared to today? What do you see in the world? Oh my God. What a <laughs> question that is. I mean, you know, the, the young people who I talk to by young, I mean, 20 years of age or younger. Yeah. Here I am. Let me just tell you, here I am in, in college. Okay. Columbia college in New York City, no such thing as a calculator of any kind. We had to use something called a slide rule. Nobody knows what a slide rule is. In fact, (laughs) they call it a slide ruler. You know, no one knows what that is. Is is that like an abacus? Yeah, uh, kind of, but a little bit more, (laughs) a little bit more uh, exacting than that. But it's it's a fantastic way to make calculations. There was no electric typewriter. I remember when the first electric typewriter came out, it was called the Remington Quiet Writer. Aaron, you could hear it one block away. Okay, that was the quiet. (laughs) 
And then there's no photocopy machine of any sort. You, you know, I mean, if you, you have a book, you have pages, you, you, you can't, you take the book out of the library. I mean, you can't take the pages home. Many people used to tear the pages out in the library and then hide the book. You know, I mean, you, you, how long does it take to write out all those pages? You couldn't do any of that. By many people, do you mean you? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, I didn't tear the pages out. You never tore the page? No, no. All right. No, no computers no whatsoever. No computer whatsoever. So no word processing, right? So if I had to type my thesis for my research. I'm typing my thesis. You're up to page 25. You're typing real carefully. All of a sudden, you realize you left out a page or left out a paragraph. Wow. Uh-huh. Got to go back to the beginning. And where you left it out, you have to then type it in and type the rest of it over again. You were always graded by how neat the goddamn thesis was. I, I feel like... I so I'm addicted. To, I'm addicted to my cell phone. It's it's something that I'm not really super excited oh. about. Um, and so uh, with my kind of like loose, aimless time that will manifest itself inevitably, I'll just like oh, like I'll feel this ghost hand reaching out to the phone and like checking yeah, yeah. notifications. Yeah. Did well, you? What was what was what was your version of some type of addictive distraction when you were in your like late teens, early twenties? Did that exist? Well, I mean, no, there was no, 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 no. There was nothing. Well, let me tell you, uh, uh, I guess it's okay to say, I mean, my distraction, since there was nothing to do of that nature, I used to go after pretty girls. Sure. Yeah. I, I would, I'd ask my dad to buy me a, a good bike yep. and then, you know, take the girls. That's what we did. We took the girls for a ride on a bike and, you know, and then I, I, I started to drive a car when I was a senior in high school. Uh, and it was all about, you know, driving, having your friends. I mean, you're addicted to going to, going to parties, yeah. going to proms, no electronic gadgets, nothing. I had my first cell phone just after it was developed, just after I got my Nobel Prize in 1998. They mm. were just developing it because the, the, there were big ones. They were not cell phones. They were like box phones. And, you know, I, I, I did. Why would I need that? But then after the Nobel Prize, I was traveling a lot and it would be good to have a cell phone. And then finally they started to develop the smaller ones. And I had my first cell phone, you know, I guess in, in 98 and 99. And I can tell you that I have certainly become addicted to that. Yeah. Did you uh, use any psychedelics during like the 60s and 70s and the whole like kind of hippie San Francisco revolution stuff? No, you know, I, at, during that time, I was not in San Francisco. I was, uh, as I said, I, I was doing my, my science, my uh, dissertation and my starting my early career. And luckily, I, I was doing my, my career is in pharmacology, which is the study of the effects of drugs on the body and the effects of, of the body on drugs. And so you get to know all of the um, good effects and bad effects and this effect and that effect of all the chemicals and drugs. And so you one is sort of like afraid to take some of these drugs. You never tried any you know? kind of psychoactive well, anything I, in your I, life? 
Yes, twice. Uh, let me tell you too. These are true stories. These are true stories, and if you don't believe me, I'll set you up with a right. Zoom call with right. two people so you can discuss it. Okay. For years, for well, let me tell you the easy one first. My my graduate students and postdocs invited me over, and I I smell all this pot. I always loved the smell of pot. I was not a smoker, <laughs> and they yeah. said, "Well, you know, uh, why don't you try this?" So I tried it and I coughed, you know, because I don't smoke. And they said, just inhale it, you know, slowly. Just sit back and relax. And so I smoked it. Mm-hmm. All right. Nothing happened. I yeah, didn't feel anything. And so I di- did another one. And then I was going after my third one. And one of my graduate students, her name was Stella, Stella Czech, I remember. She says, uh, Dr. Ignaro, give me that. No, no, no. You, you, pot. Cannabis has a way of building up in the body, and you don't want to keep smoking like this because you're going, to, you're going to die of a headache tonight. I think I had five of them, and when I got home, I felt like I was on Mars somewhere. Mm. I mean, I was really affected by that, and I never had another one again. Sorry, cannabis Sorry is can- cannabis is a vasodilator, so it's it's helpful uh, with 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 yeah. uh, healing injuries and such, especially you know, like now, joint issues. Now I know that. Now I yeah. know that my my wife's a physician; she knows that. Yeah. We also know that cannabis uh, THC can increase nitric oxide if it dilates, and it, it'll increase. Uh, yeah. NO. Yeah. So lately, I've been asking same team, her, same team, <clears throat> same team. So yeah. I've been asking, <laughs> asking my wife. You know, now that we know all these things about THC. And now that it's legal in California, let's go buy some and try it and relax. She goes, no, never, right. never, never. Well, yeah, <laughs> and the other, example, <laughs> the other example was quite dangerous. <laughs> Cannabis smoking pot is, is, is very healthy. There's nothing, nothing unsafe about that. Yeah. Cocaine is a different story. Cocaine, I agree. you don't do that right. It's dangerous. So one of my friends, he was another uh, scientist. Uh, <clears throat> this was many, many, many years ago. Uh, in the early 70s. So he comes over to my house. We're going to go, I was single, and we were going to go and have a drink, you know, one of the clubs. So he opens up something, and he, I had a glass table. So he sprinkles this white powder, you know, I'm naive, on the table. He, he has a, like a blade, and he puts it into a line, <laughs> and then he gets a straw, and he goes, you know, snuffs it up. He says, Lou, you got to try this. I said, is that cocaine? He said, yeah. He said, I'll just give you a little bit. Just try it. <laughs> and I figured, what the hell? You know, you try it once. I mean, I'll try a little bit. Yeah. He, but he warned me. He says, when you do it, be sure to breathe it in very, very forcefully through your nose and get it into your lungs. Don't, don't breathe it in gently and get it in your throat. Well, right. I guess I was afraid to breathe it in too strongly. So I breathed it in less strongly it deposited in my throat. And you know, cocaine is a local anesthetic. What that means is that I couldn't swallow. I lost my swallowing reflex. I got scared. I started to sweat. Oh no. Breathing heavily. And his name was Howard. I won't tell you his last name. He comes down, he puts me on the floor. He grabs me by my collars and said, don't you do this to me, you son of a bitch. Don't you do this to me? And then he's he's you know <laughs> patting me, <laughs> and and I finally and I finally came out of it. He says, "I told you to breathe it in rapidly." I said, "I'm sorry." 
I'm okay now. Let's go get a drink. Well, that's the same conversation as the the sugar. Like cocaine, essentially, is like the, the processed white sugar of the of the you know of the of the fruit world. You know, like the coca the, co- the coca leaf itself is is fantastic. It's helpful with with acclimatization. It's helpful with the production of of nitric oxide. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. like the the leaf itself is quite fine. It's when it gets into the whole process with the gasoline and the kerosene, and you know that's when. It, it comes out to being this hyper-concentrated of form of yes, the original yes. really healthy plant. And so yeah. once, once again, like <laughs> even within that, I think all there's, there's no, there's nuances to all the conversations. So I think a person can be like sugar bad, you know, or, or, or salt or, or, or coca leaf, for example, but it's like, or, or marijuana. But if you, I think if we do wind it back and kind of get closer to like the natural form of a thing, I don't think nature has that, many traps for us no I, th- I think i think you're right so you know i've been you know i i haven't i took the cocaine once i tried the uh, pot actually twice but i do have drugs my two drugs are sissy drugs they're uh, caffeine and wine yeah of course <laughs> caffeine yeah, and alcohol ones. you know i don't i don't take anything else um, yeah. i feel great i i you know i don't feel like i have to i i don't have a desire to experience you know psychedelic drugs uh uh you know but i i love the effect of of the little bit of red wine that i drink every night it feels yeah, good cheap, i don't so. do it during the day i do it at night relax a little bit yeah. nothing like relaxation then you go to bed you know wake up and then you have caffeine yeah directing it the other way but yeah. i feel good yeah i'm with that um thanks so much for making time having this conversation i really appreciate getting to talk i feel like uh yeah, this has been a really I, like like I mentioned, I've been talking about nitric oxide, uh, not a, a ton, but, but you know, a reasonable amount for the last couple of years, and good, uh, good, you've yeah. really you've really uh, gone much deeper into a lot of questions that I've kind of been having looming. So I appreciate it. Sure. Okay. Great. Yeah. Anytime you need more. Yeah. You know, well, if you if you're doing a book, let me know. I'd love to have you back. And, oh, and oh I will. That'd, no, that'd, I will. I be really great. Thank- Thank you. I will definitely let you know. And I, it's been a pleasure working with you, Aaron. Thank yeah. You Where should people go to learn more about you? I know you already have a book. I know you have. So what's the best? Where do people learn more? I'd love for people to be able to go deeper into well, your stuff. Well, I, I, I wrote uh, one book a number of years ago called No More Heart Disease. Yeah. And the no stands for nitric oxide. And there's still cop- many copies available on Amazon. That, that's the best way to go. And I'm working on one that I'll be publishing soon. It's going to be called Doc. Or no, NO for nitric oxide. Uh, And I'll keep you informed. But, you know, they can Google my name. You can Google uh, Dr. Lou Ignaro, and then it'll show you my Facebook, Instagram. You can go, they can go to those sites. So they'll find me. I'm, uh, uh, I'm in more places that I'd like to be, believe me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for making <laughs> right. time. And we're in the same place. I'm going to be here for another little bit. I will see where the heck I'm at this winter. But um, we're in next time, hopefully we can do this in person. Okay. Yes, absolutely right. Yeah. All, All right. right. Cool. Great. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, man. Thank you. See you, hey. man. Bye. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye now. Take care. I hope y'all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Dr. Luis is a... He's just... A, a super human being. He was just such a cordial, sweet, open, bright uh, person. I feel like we could all learn so much from people like that. 
So uh, thank you, Dr. Luis, for coming on. If you're out there, uh, if you enjoyed any specific tidbits about this, uh, maybe some breathing exercises, maybe some nutritional guidance uh, that you might want to share with other people, share it out on Instagram or Facebook, wherever do your shares. And if you tag myself at Align Podcast or the good Dr. Luis at Dr. Dot or period Luis Ignoro, uh, I would say there's a good chance we will reshare that stuff. And if not, we'll at least appreciate it. And hopefully your friends will as well. So that's a great thing. And uh, once again, if you guys are interested in learning how to navigate your bodies more effectively, check out the six-week online program. Uh, it is the continuation of the Align Method book, and it's the living, breathing, video, digital form of that. So if you have questions of how to perhaps get better ankle mobility or how to get better hip mobility or how to get your damn back out of pain or shoulder impingement, we get into all of those conversations and we break each specific topic down into digestible bites in the form of uh, short, easy to follow, at times slightly funny videos and uh, it's broken down throughout a six-week span. So you're not just fire hose with a bunch of information. By the end of it, you are absolutely going to know your body much better than you did to start. And uh, people have been really digging it so far. I so greatly appreciate the reviews and the comments and all that coming through on social media. It is so lovely to see real people making real changes in their bodies and also in their minds. There's been, that's been a, a big comment that I see consistently is people feeling more relaxed and people feeling more calm and people uh, getting better sleep. All of these systems, they're all tied together. If your body is in a state of contraction, uh, that's anxiety. When you can get the physical body in working order, that is working in tandem with uh, thoughts, feelings, and emotions. I know that territory is can be very slippery, so I don't want to go overly deep into it in an outro of a podcast. Um, but if you are feeling stressed out, if you're feeling tense, if you're feeling those things, um, I highly recommend uh, just go take a walk. Spend some time getting some movement in your body. Spend some time getting on the ground. Uh, put a comfy rug in your house and uh, put yourself near windows more often. Look out windows or relax the freaking eyes of yours. Your eyes are a continuation of your brain. They're a continuation of your central nervous system. When they are chronically in a myopic, stuck, focused state uh, or stuck in that state, that uh, was will be indicating to your nervous system that you are, it's time to stress out. So if you're feeling anxious, which this day and age, this time, there's lots of reasons to be for probably a lot of people, uh, go just look out a window and use your panoramic vision. Allow your eyes to kind of glaze over for a little bit and space out a little bit. And at the same time, you could also play with having a nice long exhalation. <sighs> we can do it right now. Take a deep breath in. <sighs> just that will make a difference in your nervous system. There's a lot of other tips and tools that you can learn. It's all in the Align Method in the book and the program, wherever you get it. And I uh, appreciate you guys being of support. Um, so well, I look forward to whispering into your sweet, tender ear canals next week. I hope you sleep well. I'm about to go to bed now. 
and uh, I'll see you soon.